Hi there, esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm your host, Rob Kent. As you know, I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, the greatest novel ever written by men, uh, and its sequel, Banneker Bones and the Alligator People, and yet this uh, later this year coming is Banneker Bones and the Cyborg Conspiracy, uh, which will uh, round out the trilogy. Will there be a book for? Eh, we'll see. Um... I have so enjoyed this series. It's about an 11-year-old biracial boy detective who is basically Batman at age uh, at age 11. Uh, he fights giant robot beings with his cousin Ellicott Skullworth. They fly through the Latimer City night sky on jetpacks with EMP blast rifles to blow them uh, right out of there. And, of course, they have to invade the giant robot bee hive because you can't have giant robot bees and no hive. That would be silly. Uh, in the sequel, they're back, they're fighting alligator people, and then in the third book, uh, the plot for that one is so tightly under wraps, I can't even really confirm its existence without spoiling, spoiling, uh, spoiler, spoiling bits of uh, books one and books two. Uh, if you're curious, to get started, Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees is available as a paperback, an audiobook, and the ebook is free, free to download whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold. Uh, go ahead, get started on that. Once you're hooked on the series, come see me with money for Banneker Bones and the Alligator People and Banneker Bones and the Cyborg Conspiracy. Uh, under the super secret pen name Robert Kent, I've written the young adult novel All Together Now, a zombie story and its companion piece, All Right Now, a short zombie stories. If you like teens that are desperate in the zombie apocalypse facing the end of the world, uh, that's the book for you. It's my version of the Indiana zombie apocalypse. Uh, which I firmly maintain would involve a Walmart and a, at least a couple of churches and a whole lot of corn. All of those things are present and much more and all together now a zombie story. Uh, you can also check out my five-volume serial horror novel, The Book of David. Uh, the Book of David is my best uh, Stephen King impression. Uh, it's about an atheist that purchases a haunted house that then begins to give him religious visions involving flying saucers. It is crazy. Uh, and it just gets crazier the further you go. If you're curious about that, the Book of David, uh, all five chapters are available as a single compilation, or you can get the first chapter, the Book of David, Chapter 1 by Robert Kent. Uh, you can download that ebook for free whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold. Don't worry about me. Once you've read that first chapter, I'll see you with money for uh, chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5. Uh, or just go ahead and buy the whole thing. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. Invest your time and your money. You're going to have a, a wonderful time. Uh, as always, check out uh, middlegradeninja.com to keep up with what's going on the show, who's going to be coming on. Uh, read uh, hundreds of interviews with uh, authors, publishing professionals, literary agents, editors, people you are interested in. So check that out. It's a free resource that you can find and access any time of day or night. Uh, and that's it for the announcements today. Tonight, I couldn't be more excited uh, we are going to be talking with literary agent Allison Heligos. Uh, Allison, how are you this evening? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I am recovering from that very long intro. Whew, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> did it. <laughs> Good job. So I, uh, Allie, I'm bad at summarizing other people's books and other people's biographies. <laughs> it's my worst quality. So probably the best place for us to get started is for you to kind of give us an overview of your background. Uh, sure. So I have been in publishing for almost 20 years. I moved here in 2001. Um, I have uh, most of my background is in foreign rights. I was 
um, a literary scout. And then I also worked um, for Alloy Entertainment as their foreign rights manager and their managing editor. And my previous job to this one was working for um, Rights People, which is based in the UK, and they work selling translation rights for a number of um, publishers in and in the U.S. and the U.K. that are, you know, pa publishers, packagers, literary agencies, um, and tried to sell their books internationally. So I worked with a number of, of great authors um, because of because of that role. And then now at Samola, um, I'm going to be agenting and. Uh, also working to co-agent and bring some things back from international publishers back to the U.S. So you are right now eagerly building a list of new clients uh, to, to fill out your portfolio, right? Yes, I am. And I also need, I have other roles within the Samola studio. So I have to be very, um, just, you know, I have to, make sure that I'm managing my time very well. And I just started working in August. So that, you know, is all kind of happening. And um, it's, it's like been a nice thing to, to get, you know, to get started, really. And I can hear uh, hundreds of queries being typed up right as before <laughs> we're even finishing the sentence. Because <laughs> they know that there's probably an opening. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, to help out all those esteemed audience members who, hang on, folks, what, listen to a little bit more of the program, then, then type those queries. What kind of projects are you looking for? Um, well, I'm definitely looking for middle grade um, fiction um, and also looking for young adult. And also, you know, I feel like my sort of sweet spot has always been crossover, um, YA to, you know, that, that just sort of older um, YA or the adult books that are sort of more young adult facing. Um, I think that it's really interesting how many adults read young adult books. And I think that young adult readers, um, we don't give them enough credit sometimes. And I think they can really take on a lot more difficult subject matters and they can, you know, I, I just love the idea of, of reading, a, you know, reading a book with a teenager and being able to to discuss it and to have that that kind of connection between adult and teenager. Gotcha. So yeah. is there any particular genre that you're looking for? Or are you just kind of still pretty wide open at the moment? I'm, you know, really developing what what it is. You know, I, I don't really like to say particular genre because for me, it's really just like a feeling and something that, you know, surprises me, something that's, you know, has some social implications, um, that is saying something about humanity that is really funny or really heartfelt. Um, I think I, I just want to be surprised and I want to feel things. Um, I tend to go for books that really have heart or are just, you know, more like absurd and have a lot of humor and are going to take me on like a crazy journey. Um, I just, and I'm very visual too. So I'm, I'm always looking for books that are, you know, that have maybe different formats, maybe journals or um, graphic elements or 
um, you know, just different ways to sort of lay a book out and to kind of look at them. Um, I've also just started with picture books as well, but I, I'm really starting to develop my skills and my taste in that genre. So I'm, I'm pretty open there, but I also feel like I don't want to take on too much because I just want to make sure that that I get to know the field and the market before I kind of get going. So what would, uh, well, a few questions on, on the back of that, what would a good uh, size portfolio to get started look like for you? How many how many clients would you envision, say, let's say by the end of 2020, uh, what would be an ideal number? Um, I'd like to stick to around 20. I think that that ideally, I want to make sure that I'm giving all of my clients enough time and space and I have you know, I don't want to just sign up a bunch of people whose books I think I can sell. I really want to sign up clients whose careers I want to follow. And I want, you know, this book, but I also want the next book. So usually when before I offer representation to a client, I ask them what other things they're working on. I make sure to have a conversation with them. Do we get along? Do I find them smart and interesting and and creative and are we going to be able to kind of you know am I going to be able to help this person make the most of of their talent um am I going to because I I don't want to do that for just anyone I want to do that for people who I feel like you know really truly um excited to work with so so a lot of it you know especially starting out has been just kind of feeling out the the market and the and the people and talking to people and trying to just be as genuine and as honest as I can um, with also just understanding like I have some knowledge and some skills that I can but I don't have but I can't do everything and I don't know everybody and I don't know everything that can sell so you know you just have to trust your instincts and you love something go for it and try to push it as much as you can and and talk to the people who you really love working with and um yeah <laughs> that helps. let me ask you this uh, not not to put you on the spot because this is an impossible question and i acknowledge that going and i usually ask people what are their three favorite books that's cruel and silly why <laughs> would you only book three when there's an entire universe of literature to enjoy uh but what are some favorite books of yours that might be similar to the types of things you'd be interested in seeing um yeah it is very it's very difficult to ask a literary agent that question um i know that you know one book that i remember reading as a child that i loved so much was tuck everlasting um, I remember really feeling like I was reading that at the moment where I still believed in magic and I still believed that, you know, there could be something that you could drink from that would make you live forever. And I remember, um, you know, also feeling that way about Alice in Wonderland and just in terms of it being not even... And not even a book that makes much sense, but in a, the, just a book that like, where is this book going and why? And and trying to like piece that together and just sort of be like, what does this mean? Um, and so that was really big for me. And I also have mentioned before in the past Anne Frank's Diary, um, because I was completely obsessed with it as a kid. I think I maybe read it like 10 times. 
Um, I'm Jewish and have always been a little bit, uh, you know, obsessed with stories from that time period. Um, but I also kept a journal ever since I was very little. And so when I discovered that book, I think I really felt this connection and this this sort of idea of how do I put myself in and you know what would I do if I if I was Anne Frank and what would I write about and so yeah those are three to mention I think well, with uh, Anne Frank obviously that's a, an extremely serious read um, <laughs> but aside from the history do you know what it is specifically about um, that that voice that that spoke to you that you read it so many times. Yeah, I think because she was just a normal girl, despite the fact that what was happening in the world was so extraordinary and and almost unbelievable, um, you know, she had created, you know, these these moments in her day that were quite normal, aside from the fact that she couldn't leave her house. Um, the way that she, you know her outlook and her, her way of being was just, you know, was so compelling because it was so normal and because she was so normal. And when you see a story like that, it only makes you kind of look in awe at all the lives that were affected by something like that, like something as devastating and scary as the Holocaust. And I think, you know, I also think I was probably, um, I was probably told about the Holocaust at a very young age and didn't really understand it. And I think, you know, you watch, we learned about it in Hebrew school or we watched videos about it, but it really wasn't until I read Anne Frank's diary that I was like, oh, this is what it was, would be like if I, who is the age of Anne Frank. And when I discovered the diary, if I was alive during that time, this could have been my story. Um, I, you know, could have known people who didn't make it. So I think it was also maybe the first book I read with a like with a with like a real sad ending. And I think I like to be sad. I think that's probably something I like. So not that I liked that ending or anything, but just that, you know, being moved and and kind of being reminded of of why it's important to appreciate every day that we're here is is one of the reasons I read. So yeah. I love a good sad story. Uh, yes. It's partly because of my own um, uh, emotional issues uh, that I think just come from uh, being raised uh, a Hoosier, uh, Midwestern and Stoic. Um, I find it nearly impossible to cry in real life. I was just at a funeral um, last week. Uh, didn't cry at all, but I, I came home and I had a sad book. And when, when it's quiet, nobody's around, and it's a, a controlled environment that I can read a sad story, and then that emotion can, can come out of me since there's a, there's a place for it. So I'm not just walking around with it just bottled up all the time. Uh, but in public, uh, forget it. It's never going to happen. <laughs> Unless it's Avengers Endgame and we're all in the dark theater and then it's, exactly. <laughs> then it's okay. Exactly. Uh, and then to further kind of flush out your taste a little bit, something I've been asking at the blog for, for years. Uh, That's another impossible question because there's just so much media out there. Uh, but just give us some examples of a few favorite movies or maybe a few favorite, favorite TV shows or both. 
<sighs> well, that is really hard because I do watch a lot of TV and movies. Um, I will say, let's see, a couple things coming to. I mean, I just finished watching Succession, so that's in my in my like periphery right now. I think that is it was an amazing TV show. Um, I'm watching Mrs. Maisel. It's really fun. Uh, I love like all of the more, you know, all the shows like Fleabag um, and anything like with a raw sense of humor. I like all the great, like there's so many great shows from the UK. Um, Sorry about that, esteemed audience. We had uh, some slight technical issues, but I think we're back up and running now. Um, so, Ali, I wanted to ask you uh, a few things. Something about your background that, that struck me is you weren't pursuing uh, books as a career until you had graduated with degrees in journalism uh, and women's study. So what was the original plan, and, and when did that uh, become derailed so you could pursue your love of books? <laughs> it's so funny. Um, yeah, I, I really I had a very specific career goal, which was that I wanted to work um, in in uh, publicity, like working at a women's nonprofit and helping like do newsletters and, you know, write news. And and basically I knew I, I didn't want to be like sort of a hard nosed journalist that was moving to New York and freelancing. I wanted a job where I was going to get a salary, but I thought PR was sort of my calling and as I started interviewing at PR um, companies, I just wasn't feeling like I fit in with the culture as much as I thought. And I, I also wasn't finding the women's um, organizations that I was wanting to work for and there wasn't any jobs available. Um, so I had heard about um, a job posting that was an editorial assistant for a children's book company which was my first job. Um, it was actually my ex-boyfriend at the time. His boss's now ex-boyfriend, I think, uh, was an editor and said, you should go in and meet these people who do children's books. And from that one job, everything changed. And it was very uh, exciting to just all of a sudden find myself. I mean, it's very, there's, there's still a lot of similarities in what I do and what the capacity for, you know, journalism, um, which is a lot of like storytelling, but also just in my love for trying um, to, you know, understand teenagers and especially teenage girls and uh, young and, and also girls in middle school and, and trying to, you know, I've always been a lover of books and stories and have taken creative writing classes and have taken workshops types of things, but I just didn't, didn't know much about publishing until I got into it. So it was pretty cool. Um, and I've, I've been, you know, happy ever since. So <laughs> does that help? Just kind of caught the bug that that first job in. Yeah. When you took creative writing classes, did you originally have ambitions to maybe at one point be a writer? Oh, yeah, for sure. And do you still have those ambitions or are you satisfied no. helping other writers out into the world? It's way more fun to help other writers. Um, I did. Like, I wrote a couple of books. 
I I talked to some people and some agents that uh, this was like, you know, 18 years ago. But I thought, you know, I would put things aside. I would do what everyone said and put things aside and come back to them. And then I would say, you know, I'm just at this point where I'm just too critical of my own writing and I'm not, and I just don't feel like I'm using my creativity in the way I want to, which is that I feel like I'm much more of someone who wants to help people. And I love like kind of discovering that seed of talent and then like just helping it grow. Um, so I was getting so much more satisfaction doing that. Um, and I enjoy writing and I'll always enjoy kind of like more, um, like I love journalism. I love sort of, you know, family history and sort of a longer story. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's going to always be fun to have stories for myself, but I don't have any ambition at the moment to be an author. I just have an ambition to help people make money doing what they want to do and what they love um, and finding that talent because that is such, it's so satisfying when you can do that. And so um, you had grown up, uh, you said Columbus uh, when we were talking before we started. Yeah. Uh, Columbus, Ohio, that's a big move. And was the editorial position in New York or was it a gradual move to New York? Um, no, I knew I wanted to be in New York. Um, it was funny, though, because I actually I took a job as an intern in Comedy Central when I was in college. And I thought to myself, well, this will be the summer I'm in New York City, and then I'll move to a more practical city like Chicago or Cleveland. Um, I never saw myself as someone living in New York. I didn't have that ambition until I lived in New York. And then I said, I'm stuck here forever. It was just the energy and everything that made me fall in love with it. But also, you know, when I when I moved here, um, I, went, I was in college uh, in Wisconsin, but then when I moved um, to New York to look for a job. Uh, I moved in August of 2001. So it was a month before September 11th. And being here at that time also really changed me. And it also made me never want to leave the city. I felt really connected to the people, um, having witnessed, you know, the towers fall and, and just, also having a job right after that and being really lucky to have found one right after that. Um, and yeah, I think I, I, there's no place else I want to be, but New York. Gotcha. And you're, uh, working from home a lot of the time, right? Yeah. I mean, th theoretically you could do parts of the job, uh, from Columbus or even right here in Indiana. if, if you Anywhere. Wanted. Yeah. And there, we do actually have, another um, agent, Allison Remchek, who lives in Ohio. And that's why I've been going by the name Allie more than Allison recently, because um, I don't want to step on her toes. But also, I like I go by Allie as well. Um, but yeah, you, you know, Samola and many other agencies believe that you can be an agent from wherever you want to be an agent from. I personally like to be an agent from New York, um, because this is where, you know, I've, sorry about that, um, uh, where I've really put my roots down and have a six-year-old and we have a community and 
I have friends here. I actually have friends from high school here um, and friends from college here. <laughs> and, you know, this is, these are my people now. So yeah, I can't imagine being anywhere else, but, but I think you can agent from anywhere for sure. Um, there's a lot of editors in New York, but there's a lot of editors in other places as well. And there's plenty of ways to get to know editors, but you know, it, it is nice to be here to be able to see them more frequently. So I imagine there's a lot more um, interaction that you can do in person that mm -hmm. you wouldn't be able to do if you were uh, someplace uh, like Columbus or, or anywhere else. Yeah, probably. But you can still go to conferences and you can still speak at regional SCBWI events. And um, yeah, I mean, I think it, I see both as a very valid thing. I mean, I think one thing I lose by staying in New York is a lot of money. So, you know, it's, it's very hard to keep up the rent and the lifestyle and the summer camps and all the delicious food options and takeout. Um, so, you know, there's- Yeah, you're not gonna get New York style food in Columbus or here in Indianapolis. No, That's like but you might get a beautiful house in a beautiful yard with a pool or something that you would not get or at all here. But, you know, these are the choices we make. And right now, you know, New York is the choice. It's one of my uh, little pet projects that regular esteemed audience members know about uh, is I'm slowly trying to convince New York Publishing to decentralize <laughs> because my thought goes something like stop paying Manhattan rates uh, and then yeah. maybe then author royalties <laughs> could yeah. increase a bit. There'd be more money for advances. Uh, who knows what could happen? Exactly. If I can get all my friends and all my favorite people and then some great editors and some couple great publishing houses, some agencies to move on out to, you know, Philly and, and you know, D.C. and other places, there's there's a lot of other, you know, more reasonable places to live. Um, but that's not going to happen just yet. So so I'm fine staying here for for a little bit longer until until I can't, but <laughs> we'll hope I can. We're talking, um, well, I was uh, looking at your resume and, and some of the things you've done prior to this, because you are relatively new to, to being a literary agent, certainly not new to publishing, uh, because you were an editorial assistant, you were, uh, you said, foreign rights manager, you were a literary scout, so if you would just kind of... Uh, uh, help out uh, myself and esteemed audience. Let us know kind of what each of those roles entails and what you've been doing prior to this. Yeah, sure. Um, so Literary Scout is a really interesting one that a lot of people uh, don't know about. I certainly didn't know what a Literary Scout was until uh, I think the day before I interviewed for that job. So, um, but really Literary Scouts help foreign publishers to decide what books they should buy for their markets. So, you know, every, there's probably now, at the time there were only about three or four children's scouts and now there's quite a few more than that. Um, and there was also, I was also doing nonfiction scouting um, because of my journalism background and my interest in, in nonfiction. Um, but basically, as a scout, you kind of, you talk to all the foreign rights managers, you talk to, um, you know, different literary agents and different editors, and you find out 
what books that people are talking about and buying and what books should you recommend um, to your clients and your clients are foreign publishers. So you, you know, you, you know, you can represent somebody who's in Spain and then you can represent somebody who's in Japan and um, basically you get to know their lists very well and you help them curate their own list in their own country. Uh, it's a really specialized job and it's a really wonderful job. It gives such a great overview of all of publishing and it also allows you the opportunity to travel and also to see material before it gets published. Um, and it, it's a lot of fun. I, I think literary scouting is a great sort of entry way into publishing um, for anyone who's sort of interested in a more global perspective. Uh, I absolutely am still really close friends with all of the people that I met when I was a literary scout. Well, that sounds like a wonderful uh, way to get started. I don't know how practical it would be now that you've got a six-year-old uh, to be yeah. traveling a a as much. Uh, I do still travel quite a bit, but not... Um, yeah, I mean, so as a foreign rights... After that, I, I moved on to foreign rights director, and you still go to... there's. I would go to the Bologna Book Fair, and then I'd go to the Frankfurt Book Fair. Um, and then I would do other trips, you know, whether I would decide to... Um, I've, I've been for work to Paris. I've been for, to work for, um, I've been to Russia. I've been to, um, all over Scandinavia, which was incredible. Um, I've been to Brazil and a couple other places I'm sure I'm forgetting. Um, but it's, it, it's just such a wonderful way to see the world, um, to be able to see the world through your through your work, through books, to see what works in certain places and not in other places. And I just felt like for me to start off that way um, was a, was just like a, a great way to kind of get started in a sense. So when you uh, go on trips like that and you're, you know, you're in Brazil, you're in Paris, is it just show up, sleep at the hotel next morning, straight to the conference, straight home? Uh, straight back to the hotel afterward, or is there actual time to go out and see see the, all the tourist stuff, experience the culture, all that kind of thing? Well, I definitely try to make a little bit of time to do all that. Um, the book fairs are sort of more of the kind of, you know, you sit in a conference center and people come to you, and then, you know, maybe if you're lucky, you get a couple of days on either end to see things and to move around. And then you have dinners, which are nice, and you can have drinks and talk to people and go places. Um, but I, I was lucky because most of the trips, when I went to Scandinavia and I went to, um, to Russia and I went to France, when I would do those trips, actually, and also Brazil, I didn't do book fairs. I went on sales trips. And so the difference is that I would go... And I would, instead of making 10 meetings a day, I would make maybe four or five meetings a day. And they'd be, you know, breakfast, coffee, lunch, coffee, drink, dinner. So <laughs> there's a lot of eating and drinking, um, which is so hard for me. <laughs> and, like publishing hobbits. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really, I think that the eating and the drinking is probably my favorite part of this industry, aside from the reading. Um, but, you know, it's a very... That way, instead of spending like a half an hour with these people and just kind of, you know, basically, 
you know, saying your list and not having much time to, to really talk. Like, I just, I think it's really nice to have the relationships um, with foreign editors and to get to know what they're interested in. Um, and also to be the representative for the literary agency in the U.S. or the foreign publisher in the U.S. Um, or the, the U.S. publisher for the foreign publisher. Anyway, you know what I mean? Um, it's, yeah, so they would be they would be definitely more conversational and more friendly um, because that's really I mean that's the way I like to work too. I mean it's not I I just feel like I love making friends in this industry. Everybody's so interesting and has such a great story and background. And so when you travel for work, you meet so many amazing people. I just feel like you know it fills my cup right up <laughs> so yeah. i assume that anybody that's uh, fortunate enough to, to to have you represent them uh doesn't need to worry about how their foreign rights are going to be handled they're going to be uh well taken care of uh, for sure i imagine <laughs> well i think i'll have a good perspective on what would would sell so you know when you come to the fact of there might be a publisher who wants to buy world rights and they might have a nice offer and if i feel that you know, I generally don't see that book selling very well globally, then it's okay to take that, that extra money and let the publisher do it. But um, otherwise, most of the time, I really will prefer to keep all the foreign rights for all of my clients because I just can't wait to, to see my friends in foreign countries and tell them about the books that I'm selling um, and not just about the books that I'm selling for other people which is what I've done my whole career. And I, and I love it and I still love it, but yeah, it's going to be a trip for sure. Aside from the foreign rights, what other rights would you want to fight to, to maintain and, uh, and, and represent for your client? Well, that's a great question. Um, well, I know obviously um, all of the performance and film and TV rights um I know audiobook rights are something that a lot of publishers um, are trying to get more of, and I would like to try to keep as many as I can because I think that publishing in general is going in such an interesting direction towards audio. Um, so I think we should sort of watch that space a little bit more. Um, I definitely want to keep as many rights as I can for the author because no matter what, when I have, um, you know, when I represent an author, it's the author's, you know, we're, we're, we're deciding what the publisher gets to have, but the author has all of their own rights and they should have all of their own rights, if that makes sense. So basically I'll try to keep as much as I can. Um, I'll always try to go into a negotiation just offering North American. You will never get me to disagree that authors need more. They need more money. <laughs> they need more rights. They need more control. <laughs> Everything. Yeah. More, more, more. Yes. <laughs> um, so, well, let me, let me ask you this. So why, after this many years uh, doing foreign rights and having such success and fun traveling the world and, 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 and being uh, a trendsetter and a globetrotter and a... <laughs> I imagine if you come to uh, when, uh, when your son's old enough uh, to have career day, 
you're going to be somebody they want to have come in. <laughs> what an interesting <laughs> career to describe. Yeah. Uh, so what is it that branching out now into being a literary agent is going to allow you to do that you haven't been able to do with your previous roles? Well, it's interesting because, you know, I love foreign rights and I definitely thought I was going to be staying in foreign rights forever. And I, I actually, because I get to help um, Rosemary and the Samola Literary Studio out with their foreign rights, and that's part of my job, um, I feel like I still will always have, you know, sort of have that part of me. But at the same point, um, I think I got to, you know, just a point in my career where I started, in addition to selling foreign rights, I was starting to bring in more things to North American publishers from UK agents and publishers and Australian agents and publishers, as well as some foreign publishers. And so I was trying, you know, in doing that for my previous job at Rights People, I was really just like getting to know the the North American market so well. And I, and anytime that I was sort of placing something and finding a good home for something, it was so satisfying. And I really felt like I got to know the U.S. market in a way that I never had when I was just doing foreign rights. And I started to think, well, what else could I bring in? What could I, like, what could I contribute? And also, you know, as a co-agent, you know, you're not as creatively invested in the author, you're you're really just representing a publisher or an agent. And I still love to do that because I think it's so much fun to see and to help people get their stuff placed here no matter what. But I think I was looking for a bit more um, just being able to, to talk about the creative space and being able to talk about helping a writer develop and grow and really seeing, you know, <clears throat> you know, just really seeing a career flourish and have that be something that maybe I could do. And I think, you know, if I, it, being an agent is hard. And if I don't do it well and I want to go back to foreign rights, then I always feel like I can. Um, but if I can try and do it, you know, I think it would be a great challenge and a, and a very incredibly rewarding. And so far, even though it's only been, less than six months, it has proved to be that for me. So I have been loving it. Less than six months, but of course we should emphasize this is what, 20 years into a publishing <laughs> career? Yeah. <laughs> less than six months working directly with clients. But I feel like, yeah, I, I do know a lot about the industry and the market and contracts and rights and all that stuff. So. Yeah. This was one of the reasons I was uh, eager to talk with you. I think you had originally suggested, wouldn't it be better if we waited a year until I had a little <laughs> bit more agent experience? And I said, no, let's get you right now at the start. <laughs> let's find I out know. I, and then five so years, weird. three years from now, come back and let's find out how things have changed. Yeah, that will be interesting. It will be interesting to have a record of this. <laughs> Oh well, my! Uh, thing I wanted to back up and ask because I always try to think of the ideal esteemed audience member is just young me before I uh, before I opened my first writer's market and I was like, what's a what's an agent? What <laughs> <laughs> what are the things I need to know? So, what's the difference between a co-agent and a literary agent? So, a co-agent um, works on behalf of another agent to represent th their author's work into their country. So, for example. Um, I work on behalf of Pushkin Press 
in the UK. Um, I co-agent for them. Um, some people call it sub-agent. Some people call it co-agent. They're sort of interchangeable terms. Um, but I work on behalf. So whenever Pushkin buys world rights to something, for example, um, they publish it into the UK. Then they have somebody else who's helping them do their translation rights. And then they have me who's helping them try to place those projects into the U.S. Um, and so I, I do that service for a number of different agencies and publishers, um, both in the UK and Australia. And I have been working with a few of those people previously, and um, I'm still working with some of them now. I've, I've met a few other great people that I've been working for since I left Rights People. Um, and it's, it's just a really satisfying thing because, you know, you're helping them get to know a market that they don't know a lot about. Whereas when you're a literary agent, you're representing the author. And that's just your only focus is, is the author and the author's career. In a sense, it's sort of an easier job, but it because you don't have to be the one who goes back to the author and tells them this didn't work for A, B, and C. So I'm really just kind of the intermediate person. Um, but at the same time, I think that's why I was so eager to be an agent because I wanted to have more involvement with the authors and I wanted to have a little bit, take a little bit more ownership of that, of, of the ideas and not feel like I had to tell people what to do all the time or, you know, tell people yes or no, I can sell this or I can't sell this. I don't know. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it does. Although I'm wondering, I'm thinking co-agent sounds ideal because you get to you get to do what you love. But then, like, if things don't work out, it's not you on the phone saying, "Dear, there, author, there, there, dry those eyes. You're gonna be all right." Because <laughs> yeah, I, I know uh, from experience uh, with my own agent that that can sometimes be 30, 45 minute phone conversation. <laughs> yeah, and it, it yeah, it is. It's it's fun. I mean, it's fun because they also will usually give you something that you then can easily shop around so you're not you work you work on the strategy that's based to the north like how do i want to sell this to the u.s but you know you're you're basically um given like a really strong material and you're getting it filtered so it's like you know i have my unsolicited mailbox which is really unruly and scary and i'm trying to keep up with it as much as i can sorry authors who are listening who have submitted how many uh, queries would you say are hitting that on a daily basis weekly basis i'm trying to do um what a suggestion that rosemary told me my boss who said you should try to get knocked down 10 a day um so i'm trying to do that and yeah so i'm getting there and trying to catch up before the holidays so I kind of closed a little early and I'll reopen in January um and also I need to be cautious because I because I do manage things like getting ready for the Bologna book fair and you know doing the catalog and handling the clients for Samola um on the foreign right side I want to make sure that that I'm still doing a really good job of that so if I if I'm always open to submissions constantly then you know, I might lose lose track of that. So, anyway, 
Uh, I think I went on a tangent there. No, you're fine. Although I'm always curious when I see that uh, such and such an agent is closed to queries until such and such a time. If that really makes any difference. Uh, so it's not like hanging the do not disturb sign at the hotel. The maids will probably won't come in if you've got that yeah. out, whereas authors uh, are, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Magical thinkers sometimes. They're like, close to queries. Great. That means you have more time to focus on mine. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> does that make a noticeable difference in slowing down the queries that come in? It, it actually does for me. It helps me. I've only, I've closed, a, like I opened, um, I think I just closed for like a month as I was getting ready for Frankfurt, even though I didn't go to Frankfurt, I was doing the the Frankfurt rights guide and I was was trying to get to know all the systems of my new job and I just couldn't keep up with it. And so I just closed for a month um, just to kind of get, get my bearings in my new job. Um, And then I just recently closed until January so I can get back to the people who I've requested material from. Um, I think that's the hardest thing. You know, it's not as much the mailbox that is upsetting or not upsetting, but it's not as as overwhelming or it's just that I like a lot of things. I'm actually surprised by how much I do like and I do want to see. And so I'm asking for a lot and I can't keep up with the reading and we, you know, just uh, I want to have time to, to read the things I've requested. And so that's what I'm giving myself the space to do over the vacation. So what does your uh, typical day agenting look like so far? Um, I spend a lot of the time still trying to get to learn all the systems um, of, of, you know, of the database and um, how we're entering contracts into the system. And also, you know, communicating with our um, sub-agents uh, on the international side, if there's anything going on with any of the Stamola authors, I try to help get, you know, foreign covers approved. Um, I try to get some information to some of the literary scouts who are looking to help their clients. Um, so I'm, I'm reading and trying to really get to know all of the authors on the Stamola list, not just my own. Um, it's a really important for a foreign rights representative to just have a good feeling of of what everyone is doing. So I, I feel like I just try to stay really alert and in, involved in everybody else's stuff as well as my own. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I tend to look at my week and I look at the beginning of the week at all the clients I've signed up and what I need to do for them. I want all of my clients to feel like they know that every week I am thinking about what they are doing right now, whether they're waiting for me to, you know, look at a proposal or a submission or whether they're waiting, um, you know, for a contract. Maybe we were supposed to get that contract last week. What, do I have to chase it this week? What am I doing? So I'm I'm really also trying to be as client focused as I can. Um, I'm trying to set schedules for my clients so that they get me revisions in a certain time, so I can book out weeks in which to do an edit before I submit something. Um, and then I'm thinking of strategies and I'm thinking of ways that um, I want to pitch something. I'm thinking of editors who I think will love their book. Um, 
and I'm making notes of that constantly and talking to my awesome colleagues about, you know, who they think might be good for this book. Um, I have really great resources at Stamola and, you know, so it's a, it's a lot of things, but, um, you know, and then there's the meeting, you know, going into the city, meeting editors, um, talking about books, trying to keep up with books, you know, that people are reading and talking about reading articles, <laughs> you get the publisher's lunch and the publisher's marketplace. And if you delete it and you don't read it, that's the one time where there's something in there you're going to have to have known about. Um, of course. <laughs> so I do, try, <laughs> I do try to kind of skim all of those or save them for like lunchtime or a quieter time to just, you know, take in what's going on in the market. It's hard. There's a lot to follow. <laughs> so when does your day start and end? Or does it end? Um, that's a good question. I'm very lucky. And I think a lot of agents who don't work normal office hours are in the same position that I'm in where, you know, we really can work whenever we want, but I do try to follow generally like a nine to five schedule. Um, but because my office is also in my home, I do tend to work some evenings if I need to do something that's more focused, that's like more specific, whether it's, you know, working on a rights guide or editing a manuscript or reading a submission. I try not to do kind of more tasky email work at nighttime, but I do really, I like working at night. I like the quiet of the nighttime after my son goes to bed. Um, you know, it's hard. It's hard when you work from home to stop working, but at the same time, I do have a, a really good work-life balance because I can, you know, if during the day, one day I feel like I'm not focusing, I can go take a walk with my dog. I can get some fresh air. I can, you know, go to the gym or go swimming or something. Uh, so I feel really blessed to have, you know, a very... Uh, open kind of schedule. My six-year-old is very good at dictating when daddy should take a break. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to stop working and focus on all the things I want. Okay. Yeah. Let me take care of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alice Helligers, have you ever seen a flying saucer and do you believe in them? Um, I surely do believe in them. Um, I love stargazing. So there's, been many a time where I'm like what's that um and I hoped that it was like a flying saucer I think I, I have a pretty big imagination and also just think that we are such a speck of dust in the universe um and definitely there's other things out there so um I don't know I believe all that stuff but I don't have the answers to what they are <laughs> I just know that there's a lot of things out there that I don't know about. I tell you what, three, five years from now, we're going to do this again. I'm going to ask you <laughs> more about uh, agenting, uh, wisdom perspective, and then hopefully you'll have the answers uh, about flying saucers as yeah. well. It's going to be a heck of an episode. <laughs> I'll, I'll have my, my friend, the, you know, the, the alien. So we'll just hang out 
together. <laughs> Let me uh, ask you this, because I know that we're running near the end of our time together, uh, but something that, that fascinates me and hopefully it fascinates esteemed audience uh, is this idea of trying to evaluate an author for a career, because you said you're not looking just for one book, two books, you want the whole thing. How do you go about evaluating an author beyond just the submission that you've received? Well, I tend to look, I tend to ask the author what else they're working on. I, I sometimes will ask for other books or just, you know, I, I want to have a sense of what they're looking for. I want to feel kind of creatively connected to them in more than just one way. Um, I think, you know, anyone can kind of attach themselves to a book um, and get excited about one book, but you really want to be looking for people whose careers you can you can help and you can take them to different places and different levels. Uh, so I always just find that a phone conversation um, really helps to just see how how our chemistry works together um, and to see if we kind of speak the same language. And I think that that's the best way for me to get to know someone and to see, you know, if I want to be working with them beyond just this one book that I've fallen for. So to help out all of those uh, esteemed audience members who are about to get uh, excited emails from you saying, I love your manuscript, let's talk. Uh, how, how should they go about preparing for the call? What are some good tips to make sure that they're going to set themselves up for a successful call and not torpedo this thing uh, right there at the finish line? They can't. They just have to be themselves. So um, they shouldn't try hard to be anyone else. And I just want to talk to them. That's all. So just come completely like you're just ready to talk to a friend and to talk about business and your career and where you want to be and ideas. Um, that's really it. As far as meeting authors at conferences, now that you're talking with them, you know, evaluating them over the phone, evaluating them through queries, what are the best things that you're seeing authors doing and what are some of the worst things that you're seeing them do? Um, well, similar, you know, I think, I'm very drawn to the queries where people can somehow insert their personality into the query. Um, when you're just kind of explaining a story and it feels like a very sort of rote description, maybe it's a good description, but I'm like, who's describing this? Like, I kind of want to hear the author's voice in the description of the book. I want even if it's fiction, I mean, especially if it's fiction, I want to hear why they were writing it, why they were so excited about it, and why they're the best ones to be telling us about this book and to be, you know, giving us this great story. Um, so, you know, I think just being yourself in the letter and being succinct, and I've been seeing a lot of really great queries. Um, I've been seeing a lot of queries that just feel like either somebody else wrote them or like, I don't know if I, you know, some people are like, Oh, I, I will say I, I've noticed on your bio that you like this type of book. So here's this book for you. I don't, it, it just feels very like, it feels very tight. And I just want like, 
I just want it to be feel loose and natural. So like a form email where they maybe change the one line because now it's you instead of the last 10 agents they sent it to? Yeah. And that's okay as long as you still have somehow infused your personality. And I do tend to really like tune in if somebody has looked me up and is like, I saw that you did this book or I noticed that you did this. Um, and a lot more people do that than I thought would do it. And I think that when somebody kind of is speaking directly to me, it makes me feel special. And then I feel more focused on looking at their letter. And obviously anybody listening to this should put in their query. I absolutely loved hearing you on the middle grade ninja podcast. Outstanding interview. Here's why I think you're great. Yeah. <laughs> a trend I'm hoping to, to get started. I wanted to, <laughs> I want agents to not be able to open their inbox without seeing it. <laughs> That's my dream. Yeah. Um, well. Let me ask you, uh, well, you know what, uh, how about in person? Uh, what are the, most successful approaches for or, or ways for an author to approach you and what are some less successful uh, ways? Um, I don't know, actually. I haven't done so much in person. Like I, I haven't really yet been to a writer's conference as an agent. Um, so I guess that I'm yet to find out what has worked and what has not worked, but uh I imagine that I wouldn't love someone to just come up and start pitching me a book. I would like to just have a conversation. And then if they're writing something and we've had a good conversation and they take my card or I offer my card, then they can sort of pitch to me. Um, so I think that if that makes sense, I'm, you know, more interested in hearing from people through the, the normal channels of a query letter um, or having a good conversation and then that leading to a query letter. So if I come up to you and I, I have a terrible conversation, uh, I tell you that I think Succession is the worst TV show ever. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll right away off to a bad start. Um, and then I, I proceed to be incredibly rude. But my pitch is unbelievably brilliant and my manuscript makes you weep tears of happiness. What are my chances of gaining representation? Um, yeah, I mean, it's all, it, it's all about the material. It's all about falling in love with the material. I, I don't think there's like a wrong way to do it or a wrong way to be. I mean, I honestly just think that everyone needs to just be themselves and, and work on confidence and work on, um, you know, figuring out why they want want to be an author, why they want to write a book. And and if they love writing a book, then they need to continue to write a book and learn as much as they can about the craft and, and keep going. So, yeah, I think I'm not going to necessarily hold any grudges or make anyone feel uncomfortable. Just want to read good books and represent good authors. What a hopeful thing to hear that fills me with optimism. You can uh, say something dumb, shoot yourself in the foot, and so long as you're doing the work, you might still be all right. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> this is good news. I mean, I say dumb things all the time. People say them, you know, nobody's perfect. So I, I really, I do understand that it's just, 
it's hard to be a person in the world. It is. And I don't know, just like, let's just be real and have a real conversation and let's figure out if, if this is going to work. And that's really, you know, I, I do feel like I found an agency that supports that um, exactly. So there's not any like, we have to hit this target number. We have to, you must sell, sell, sell. I mean, a lot of agencies do have that, that kind of feel. And at Stamola, it's like, let's find some great books. Let's make people who are artists really be able to have a, a career. Um, let's put things out there that are inspiring and different and exciting. So that is, you know, what I, what I hope to continue doing. And what, uh, what would you say, how, where do you see yourself, I don't know, three years from now, five years from now? Uh, what does an ideal career trajectory look like for you from this point? Well, I would definitely like to still be um, handling the foreign rights because I just spent so much of my career doing that. And I'm so proud of the work that I've done there. Um, I want to continue to have that global perspective um, but I would really like to have, you know, a, a good core group of authors who I was able to, um, to see get incredibly successful and, and would, you know, be partially because I was able to help them. And I think that would be incredibly, um, just uh, and, you know, really exciting and in, um, enriching. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it gives me, uh, I think that uh, esteemed audience who's been listening to this interview has a very good sense of who you are and how hard you're going to work for them and what an asset you're going to be to their career. I imagine you're about to be flooded with queries in your inbox, uh, which I'm excited about. Mention the podcast, esteemed audience. Let her know. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's get you all the, the quality stuff. Uh, this has been a wonderful conversation. I could talk to you all night, but I promised I, I wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> so I think I better ask you one last question, and we better call it. <laughs> um, so my last question is always some variation of where all the writers who are listening, uh, if there were some uh, one or two things and bits of wisdom you could give them that you think would genuinely make their path easier. What would you want them to know? Um, I mean, it's very, I thought about this before and I feel like it's a very basic um, write what you love to write. And if you're feeling really stressed and, and frustrated when you're writing, um, take a step back and try to give yourself some space. Um, your mind needs healing and rest and relaxation for creativity to really blossom. And I think that writers can be really tough on themselves and really critical. And I think that if you get to that space, it means you really need to take a break and you need to 
find what you love about yourself and you need to find what you love about writing and go back to it um, when you're feeling creative and motivated and inspired. Um, so I think that I'm very concerned about the, the mental health of the writers that I work with and just want to make sure everybody takes care of their precious brain and their precious talent. So that's my biggest advice to people. Just don't be too hard on yourself because it is a really exciting thing to be able to write as a career. And it's an exciting thing to be able to write um, as a side project. And maybe you have another job and you do this on the side. Um, but, you know, it is something I think um, I, I just want people to be extra careful with. I'm going to play that clip for my wife. Uh, so the next time she says, why aren't you just playing Nintendo? I'm like, no, no, no. I am preparing my <laughs> mental health and I'm taking care. <laughs> Nintendo, get a massage, take a walk, get a dog, all the things, you know, writing is great, but don't forget to live. Don't forget to do all the things that are so amazing about being alive. Where, uh, Ali, where can uh, esteemed audience find you online and on social media uh, to find out all the things about you? <laughs> um, all right. So you can find me at stamolaliterarystudio.com. Um, you submit to me through the website. Um, there's, if you like scroll down, there's a submission, you click on it, and then you just type in and you'll post, cut and paste your query letter and the first 10 pages into um, the screen. Uh, don't worry, it all looks the same, the font, the typing, like, I don't, I won't judge if anything is not italicized or the format, you know, it's, it's the words and not the format that I'm looking for at first. Um, and then I'm on Twitter and you can find me at, um, is it just, Allie D. Helligers, A-L-L-I-D, and then H-E-L-L-E-G-E-R-S. Um, I don't tweet as much as a lot of other people, but I do like to promote and support my authors and sometimes um, post articles about dogs or kids or politics. But I have been instructed not to talk about politics <laughs> with you. <laughs> so I will not. And well, we, you know what? Since you brought it up, I will ask you while well, speaking one last question, not about yeah. specific politics, but about yeah. talking about politics. Uh, how how cautious are you when talking about politics online? And how cautious do you want your authors to be? Oh, I'm not cautious at all. I'm just um, I'm just very liberal and I have no shame in that. So I, um, probably won't get along with many conservative writers. So I don't know if that is something good to talk about or not, but, um, I'm very, pa I'm a very passionate Democrat, I guess. So, um, yeah, I think that's all I should say about that. Wow. I asked you that question earlier about if I come up to you and I'm kind of a jerk, but I've written something brilliant. What if I come up to you and I've got my MAGA hat on and I say, you know, the Trump train forever. <laughs> I think I probably would ignore you. Yeah, even yeah. if my, my, my book was a brilliant manifesto that uh, convinces you the kids in cages is a good thing. 
<laughs> yes, I think so, unfortunately. Fair enough. <laughs> Just and now I'm gonna I'm gonna stop myself before I get us in trouble. <laughs> it's fine. Oh, thanks again for uh, making the time. Esteemed audience, as always, don't forget to head to middlegradeninja.com. Uh, read interviews with uh, hundreds of agents, editors, publishing professionals, folks you're interested in. Download your free copy of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, and then buy the sequels. Uh, you'll have a great time. Uh, and that's it. Uh, Ali, I'm always asking our guests to sign us off with a very particular sign-off phrase uh, that is very ninja-like and totally justifies the name of the show. Uh, and that sign-off phrase is hi-ya and what have you. Will you sign us off? Sure. Hi-ya and what have you. Thank you.